Crossfire by Andrew Siegel The glint of steel defined the blade held in the man's right hand. The shank was at least eight inches long. Its owner, in his twenties, over six feet tall, in tight blue jeans, with muscles bursting from his shabby white t-shirt, frowned like one intent on a task in hand. His three colleagues of similar height and build seemed equally absorbed. They were fanned out across the pavement like a herd of approaching buffalo in the otherwise deserted street on what was a cold, grey October afternoon. The object of their attention was the two men approaching them. The older of the two, in his early forties, bull-necked, shaven-headed, around five feet eight, his companion in his late teens, lean-built and slightly taller. The younger man spoke first, his voice tremulous. Christ, Dad, I say we shouldn't have come down this street. It's asking for trouble. It's a free country, son. We don't need permission to walk any street we want. But what are we going to do? There's four of them. Stand still, son. Now, let them come to us. We start nothing. Maybe they'll walk on. If they start getting clever, well, just remember what I taught you. The four were closer now. Dad? The boy sounded frightened, felt frightened, his heart hammering painfully in his chest. Okay, son, get ready for a ruck. Calm, calm, calm. Go when I say. I'll take the one with the knife, Dad. The father's tone had been reassuring, and the youngster had fast pulled himself together. He felt clear-headed now, sounded composed or possibly resigned. Are you sure? The boy's breathing was under control. Yeah, I'm okay now, Dad. The lad quickly unwound the scarf from his neck and wrapped it in a defensive shield round and round his forearm till it looked like a woolen tire. Got your purse? The older man hissed, reaching into his own pocket. Got it. Left hand. Weighed with heavy change. Good boy. Now. The two, father and son, moved forward, the older man shuffling quickly, the boy with a loping, easy gait. As the six men closed on each other, the lad stopped, slung his purse hard in the face of the armed man. He caught him square on the forehead. Momentarily distracted, the boy used the advantage gained and kicked him hard in the groin. The bigger man groaned and bent forward in pain, the knife still within his grasp. The lad kicked him again, this time catching him in the solar plexus with the point of his boot, bringing up his knee hard in the man's face. He shattered his nose, which burst in a fountain of blood. Close by, his father was dealing with another of the attackers who'd produced a club, but was already experiencing the effects of the father's controlled rage. Meanwhile, a second blade had appeared seemingly from nowhere and was arcing towards the youngster's head. The boy harried the blow with his right arm, the blade slicing deep into the protective scarf. A shaft of pain lanced through his limb and the wool was immediately soaked with blood. The boy stood back for a bare instant, eyes narrowed, mind focused. He gauged, guessed his attacker's next movement. No room for error. Blood was running down into his hand and onto the pavement as the man raised his arm for a second cut, a moment of misgiving on the boy's part. The realisation that he was way out of his depth, smaller, lighter than his assailment and unarmed, loss of blood already weakening him, slowing his reactions. Gritting his teeth, the lad ducked and brought his free arm up and with fast failing strength delivered a curling left hook, catching the man on the edge of the larynx. The big man dropped the knife and grasped his throat, making choking sounds as he fell to his knees. The father had by now dealt with the other two men, both of whom lay groaning in the gutter, and he stood panting, hands on his hips, chest heaving, a smear of blood on his cheek. Good boy, he said. You done all right. 
Good left hook, that. Glancing down at his son's right arm, he said, That thing bad, Alex. No matter. Hospital for you. The noise of the fight, the shouts and the screams of the men had attracted attention and people had appeared at windows. Fast approaching came the seesaw rhythm of a police siren. Alex didn't hear the police car. He was shaking in shock and high with elation. The magistrate sat with two others on either side of her. Middle-aged and jowly, she was heard by Alex and his father to whisper to her colleagues, well, the CPS seems to have chosen the correct parties to prosecute for a change. Mr Bradshaw, she inquired, can you tell the court what weapon you used to break one of your attacker's cheekbones and nose? I use my fist, ma'am. The magistrate leaned forward on her elbows as though to get a clearer view of the witness. You seem well able to take care of yourself. An army career, ma'am. The father was wearing a sports jacket and a tie. Twenty-five years, three tours of service abroad, saw plenty of action, retired as sergeant major, learned all about self-defence, unarmed combat and that. And your son? One of those men nearly choked to death. The magistrate glanced at the four men in the dock. Artie had time to think, ma'am, before they was on us. Taught the boy all I know. He done all right. Told him at the time. Could have been nasty, but the lad did well. Young man, the magistrate had now cast her attention towards the second witness of the prosecution. That arm of yours? The youngster, Alex, his arm in a sling, was turned out in a sober grey suit and tie. Off farm, ma'am, he answered quietly. This case is going to be referred to the Crown Court for trial. But before that happens, would you be kind enough to give us your version of the events? You'd yeah, have been proud of him, mother. The family were seated in their cramped kitchen at the breakfast table in dressing gowns. The smell of bacon and cold scrambled egg permeated the air. Alex's mother, a tiny bird-like woman with claw-like fingers, a beak of a nose and faded fair hair combed into a bun, looked unimpressed. Putting the teapot in the centre of the table, she regarded her husband. You might have been killed, she intoned. As for you, Fred, haven't you got nothing better to do than teaching Alex here how to fight the world? I don't know. Really don't know. But Fred went on, as if his wife hadn't spoken. Proud of the boy, mother. You should have seen him. A real man. That's what we've got for a son, Doris. A real man. Dad, the boy sounded uncertain. He'd been quietly drinking his tea, but now replaced the cup in the saucer. There's something I want to talk to you about. Oh, now, son, his dad smiled. I'm late. I have to wait till later, lad. Scraping back his chair, the father got up and made for the kitchen door. No, dad, he won't wait. I need to tell you something right now. Right now. Alex's tone had a finality about it, and his father stopped and looked back at his son. All right, boy, what's so important? He won't wait. Now Alex hesitated. Looking down at his cup of cooling tea, he scratched the back of his neck where his hair prickled. It was a nervous gesture. He knew he couldn't pull off what he had to say any longer. Well, lad, I've got all day. Out with it. Alex went on uncertainly. Dad, you said I was a real man. Dear I, son, proud of you I was. But that's just it, Dad. I'm not. Of course you are. Need to build up those muscles a bit if you're going to look like your old man. Dad, please, just stop for a minute and listen. The older man sat down again, leaned back and folded his arms. OK, I'm listening. All ears. Take your time, boy. Alex put his hands, palm down on the table, and looked up at his father. His eyes were glistening. Where do I start? God. Look, I have to tell you something, and I don't know how to put it, but I've been living a lie, Dad, for years now. Most of my life, in fact. Alex's palms were sweaty against the surface of the table, and his pulse thrummed in his ears, just as it had when they confronted the four men. Fred frowned at his son. Living a lie? What sort of lie? Alex's mother sat quietly looking down at her hands in her lap. She glanced at Alex now from the corner of her eye. 
Fred turned to his wife. You know what he's talking about, love. But Doris said nothing in reply. Doris? Fred's voice was raised. Do you know what the hell's going on here? Our son, our young man. What's this lies talking about? Dad, leave my mouth of this. Look, what I'm saying is I'm not a real man because really, because... Alex paused, drew a deep breath and closed his eyes. He could feel his father's gaze on him. Because I am a woman. At least I want to be a woman. What I mean to say is I'm stuck in the wrong body. I'm not what I want to be. I, I can't explain. She's all coming out wrong. Alex put his head in his hands. The room was silent. No one moved or spoke. Sighing, Alex took his hands from his face and looked up at his father. Say something, Dad. Okay, on Father Christmas. Be serious, Dad, please. Well, I'm being serious, for God's sake, laddie. What the hell are you talking about? Fred had his elbows on the table as he leaned towards his son, the veins in his neck standing up like pulsating snakes. You're a woman? A woman? What do you mean you're a woman? You're no more a woman than I am. You're not making sense, boy. I know you're a man, because I helped your mother change your bloody nappies when you was a baby. So what's all this rubbish got to do with anything? Dad, it's not like that. So what's it like then? Where'd you get this cracker's idea from? Doris, I already asked you once. I'll ask you again. Let me phrase it differently this time. What do you know about this? Don't just sit there like a dummy woman. Fred sat back, paused. His brow became smooth and he nodded at his wife knowingly. Tell me about it, Doris. What's the lad been up to? He banged his fist on the table. Doris! His voice was like the crack of a whip. What the hell is all this about? Are you two both going bloody mad? Dad, you're making mum cry. Doris was quietly squeezing her handkerchief into her eyes, trying without success to stop the flow of tears down her cheeks. All right, son. His father sat back, folded his arms again. I'm going to listen to you very carefully, but it better be good. Just remember, you're not too old for me to take my belt to you. I'll tell you everything. Everything. But please, just don't go losing your temper. Go on then. I'll try, but I'm promising nothing. I know this is going to sound crazy to you, but from the time I was a kid, I knew I wanted to be a woman, a girl. It wasn't a thing that just suddenly happened. I love girls' clothes, girls' names, girls' gossip. Of course, I kept it all secret, but being a boy never seemed right. I was okay at sport, so I mixed all right with the boys, but it wasn't me. I don't believe I'm hearing this, Fred muttered under his breath. I've served my country in the army, fought hand to hand, been caught in enemy crossfire, been wounded and still managed to rescue me mates. And for what? For this? Dad, do you want me to go on or what? Fred sat in stony silence, his lips pressed to a thin line. I have to tell you, I want to start a course of hormone replacement therapy. Ha! Fred shouted. You mean like your mother? That's right. Sort of. For God's sake, boy, have you completely taken leave of your senses? Doris, say something for Christ's sake. His wife still remained mute staring down at her hands. Doris! He repeated it louder this time. Bloody hell, you do know all about this, don't you? This just cannot be happening. Look, son, you'll have your hormone replacement therapy over my dead body, understand? He bellowed over my dead body. By now, Alex's mother was sobbing openly. I'm sorry, she said. So sorry. I didn't know what to do for the best when Alex first told me all this. You should have told me, Doris. Can't you trust your own husband? But Alex said he'd tell you when the time was right. There is no right time. Time, snarled Fred. One of us in this room is going insane, and it isn't me. And Fred paused, breathing heavily. He took out a handkerchief and mopped his brow. Look, son, he reasoned. Let's be practical, hmm? There's loads of reasons why you can never be a woman. Crush, you're too tall for one thing. I'm five foot ten, Dad. Top female models are six feet tall. All right, all right. But you always said you wanted to be a soldier like me. And I still do. How can you? There's no fighting on the front line with the ladies, my boy. Yes, Dad. That's all changing. There's going to be women on the front line. So why be a bloody woman? Why not stay a man? Because it's not what I am. I am a woman. 
woman. Gonna fool me, Fred mumbled. And what sort of clothes are you gonna wear when you become a woman? God help us. Women's clothes. What the hell do you know about women's clothes, laddie? Fred stopped as though... Thunderstruck. Don't tell me. You've been borrowing your mother's clothes. No, Dad, I haven't. Yeah, that's a relief. I've got my own. I've been cross-dressing for years, at least three years anyway. I go to a friend's house. What friend? Louise Blanchard from school. I go to her place to get changed, then we go places. Fred got up and started pacing the tiny kitchen. So, this Louise knows then? Yes. Who else? No one, Dad. There's no one else. But I just had to tell someone, as well as Mum. Fred pulled the chair back towards him again and sat down, rocking up against the wall. So, it's going to be hormones and that's that, right? So, if you ever come to your senses, you can stop taking the tablets and be a proper bloke again, right? Alex had been fiddling with his cup, which only held the dregs of cold tea. He now started tracing imaginary patterns on the table with his forefinger, fidgeting with his knife and fork. No, Dad, not right. He stared at the table, waiting for the next onslaught from his father. The room became silent again, a drawn-out interval where everyone was waiting for someone else to start talking. Finally, Fred spoke. What do you mean, no, Dad? Not right, Alex. What's not right? Do I want to hear what's coming next? Let me get... Yes. You're thinking of having the chop, right? All going to be chopped off. Yes, Dad, responded Alex quietly. Son, I don't want to embarrass your mother, but we man at our knees, don't we? I know what you're getting at. Sure you do. Don't tell me you don't jerk off every day. God, when I was your age. Sorry, Mother, he said, turning to his wife. But this needs to be said. How are you going to manage with a woman's knees? Do you even know what they are? Much the same as a man's, Dad. How do you know that? I'll talk to Louise, who's been really helpful. And to Mum, and to a medical specialist, one who deals with this sort of thing. You've already seen a specialist? Now, will you stop bloody fiddling with that knife and fork? Yes, I've seen a specialist. <laughs> I might have guessed. What the hell did he tell you about women's sexuality? What could he possibly know? Not a he, Dad. She. Oh, well, that's all right, then. I suppose she knows all about men. So how do you have orgasms if you don't have the equipment to make sperm? anymore. They tell me that men can make sperm throughout most of their lives. That's why a man can have sex with almost any woman without it affecting a loving relationship. You'll have nothing there to play with, boy. Do you realise that? Nothing there anymore. Yes, I will, though. The operation involves the removal of the male genitals of the lining of a manufactured vagina with a scrotum. So penetrative sex will be possible with some feeling via the nerves in the scrotum. I can see you've been through this. Christ, is that it? What about climaxes or orgasms or whatever they're going to be called? She said they'll retain the glands and place it where a clitoris would be so there'll be a degree of sensitivity there as well. Fred rubbed his eyes wearily. I'm supposed to be off to work. I'm so late already. Look, son, my boy, don't you see that having an operation to take away what you've got isn't going to make you into a woman? That Greer woman said as much. Just because a bloke has his bits chopped off doesn't make him into a woman. That's right, Dad. Jermaine Greer is right, was right. What she got wrong was that the operation's got little to do with what it is to be a woman. I am a woman. I always was a woman. The operation will just make it easier for me to live that way. Incidentally, we're going to call yourself when all this has happened. Can't call yourself Alex anymore, can you? Alexi's dad, or just Lexi for short. Oh, I'm not listening to any more of this. I've got a living to earn. Fred stomped out of the house, slamming the front door behind him, and Doris sat sobbing, Alex's arm around her shoulder. The hospital waiting area was bright and fresh. The surgeon had suggested they wait at home as the operation was likely to last. The hospital waiting area was bright and fresh. The surgeon had suggested they wait at home as the operation was likely to last some hours, but Fred had insisted they stay at the hospital. Fred had worn a sports jacket and tie, much as he had for the court appearance, as though a smart presence might somehow give more credibility to his arguments with the surgeon to delay, all to no avail. 
He wasn't the patient. The choices weren't his, as the surgeon patiently pointed out. I can't believe he's really going through with it, Doris. Couldn't you have done anything to make him change his mind? You always blinking mother, for God's sake. His wife, wearing an old dress and cardigan, looked drawn and tired. It's what he wanted, Fred. We're going to have to get used to calling Alexis she, not he. Never! Shouted Fred. I don't care what they do to him. He's still my son. He's our son. He's Alex. Don't you ever forget it. No, Fred. Fred started pacing the waiting area, restlessly back and forth, his steel toe caps and heels clacking on the tiled flooring. And bloody months of those women's clothes, could you believe it? High heels, long hair down his back, and lipstick for the love of God. Lipstick, I swear he's mad. Totally mad. He's even got tits. My boy's got tits from those bloody hormones. And he's a psychiatrist, not a surgeon. I never thought I'd live to see the day. Doris twisted around to face her husband who was behind her. Fred, you're going to have to accept it one day. Our child is Alexis, not Alex. Never, Fred snarled. Never, 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 never. I don't care what he has done to him. He's a boy. He's our boy. Over my dead body, he'll be a girl. When the moon turns blue, he'll be a girl. When pigs fly, when hell freezes over, do you hear me, woman? Do you hear me? Yes, Fred, Doris whispered, sitting with her head bowed, hands in her lap, and now through tears flowing freely down her face. I can't help it, she sobbed. I only wanted what was best for him. For her, she corrected herself. Even you don't bloody know what to call him now. What a farce this is. Fred looked at his watch. It's been blinking hours, he said. How much longer are they going to be? Almost on cue, the surgeon emerged from a side door. White-coated, she was a tall, slender woman in her mid-forties with black hair cut in a bob. She looked deathly pale. Mr. Bradshaw? Mrs. Bradshaw? The air, the accent was cultured and educated. How's he doing, doctor? Fred inquired, his voice loud and angry. Maybe sit down, do you think? The doctor made for one of the chairs. I'll stand if you don't mind. And it's doctor, inquired Fred. Oh, yes. Yes, of course. It's Dr. Manning. The doctor faced Fred and Doris squarely, her hands in the pockets of her white coat. You want to know how the operation has gone, don't you? That's the general idea. How is my boy? Mr. Bradshaw, Alexis is your daughter and the operation went as planned. Well, that's a bloody relief then, said Fred. Fred, please, Doris pleaded. The doctor's only doing her job. That it then. Do we all go home? Keep his bits in a flask on the mantelpiece to remind us what he was and what he still should be. He's my boy, doctor, and nothing. I mean, nothing you can say or do will ever change that. Do you hear me? Fred, you've got to stop. Doris was wringing her hands in anguish. You're making me cry again. I can't take any more of this. It's simply not fair. I didn't ask Lexi to have this operation. I can't help you if that's how it is. Lexi, is it? Bloody Lexi. Fred bellowed. I'll not have it. I'll not have it. Fred, you agreed. You agreed. On bloody sufferance, woman. I never thought it would actually come to it. Mr. and Mrs. Bradshaw. The doctor cut in quietly. I need to speak to you both, please. There has been, there is an issue. Oh, yeah. What sort of issue, said Fred? As I said, the operation went as planned. But at some stage, an infection set in. This would normally be treated with antibiotics. But what we weren't informed here at the hospital was that your daughter is allergic to penicillin. No one bloody asked us, said Fred. It will have been on the forms you completed before Alexis was admitted. I didn't see no forms. You, Doris? He rounded on his wife, glaring at her accusingly. I'm so sorry, doctor. He's never had penicillin before. I mean, we just didn't know. Didn't know? Didn't know? Bloody Nora woman. So what's happening now, doctor? I thought we were told he'd be in for a week or so. How's he going to be then? Mr. Bradshaw, Mrs. Bradshaw, please listen carefully to what I have to say. Alexis's allergy to penicillin has produced something called an anaphylactic seizure. What that means is that Alexis is having trouble breathing. There's been vomiting, a weak pulse, and a drop in blood pressure. Bloody hell! Fred face up to the doctor. So what are you doing standing here? 
Shouldn't you be doing something about it? Our team is working on it, but it may be some hours before. Before what, Doctor? Before we know. The Doctor looked concerned. She repeated quietly, before we know whether Alexis will pull through. Fred slumped into one of the chairs, elbows on his knees, hands dangling, his head slumped forward. What? You mean he could die? All his crap and he could die anyway. My boy, my son. What in God's name have you done to yourself, Alex? I have to go now, said the doctor softly. I'll be back as soon as I have something to report. Meanwhile, I'll have one of the staff bring us some tea or coffee. She attempted a smile and, turning on her heel, was gone. The couple sat quietly together. Then Fred looked up at his wife and said, I'm sorry, Doris. I've been hard on you. All wrong. None of this is your fault. It's just that I had such high hopes for the boy. Ship off the old block and that. Oh, no, love. Don't fret. Things will turn out. They always do. She put a comforting hand on Fred's shoulder. Oh, I thought you'd have a family. Be a provider like me, a real man. God Christ, Doris. Men don't cry. We're not supposed to cry. I can't help it. We lose. I can't bear it. Don't cry, Fred. Don't cry, darling. It'll be all right. Doctor said the team are working on it, didn't she? It was late evening before the doctor returned to the waiting area. She had shadows under her eyes, but she was smiling. She's going to be all right. Come through the worst of it. She's awake. Just. You can go in and say hello if you like, but no more than two minutes. She's very tired. Been through a lot. The couple were ushered into a private room. The lights were dimmed, but Alexis was visible. Her auburn hair splayed out against the pillow. She had insisted on applying a little lipstick before seeing her parents. Doris walked in and went to the far side of the bed, sat down and took her daughter's hand. Fred stood stock still at the door to the room and just stared vacantly. Alexis looked up expectantly at her father, an inquiring expression on her face. She felt uneasy, already disappointed. She'd hoped for something more, something different, something better than this. But her father had a face like thunder, and Alexis's stomach turned to water. Bloody hell! exploded Fred. The doctor standing next to him appeared open-mouthed, shocked, as though she was about to say something to Alexis's father, to intervene perhaps before Fred started to get angry again. Fred, please, please, you promised, cried Doris. You promised me before we came here to see her. The doctor put her hand on Fred's arm, but he shook it off roughly. Mr. Bradshaw, I think we should leave now, she said firmly. Christ! Fred sounded angry, almost out of control. His voice shook Doris and the doctor stared at him dismayed. The doctor moved again as though to usher Fred out of the ward. Alexis strangled a sob. She could barely breathe. It wasn't working. It could never work with a man like her father. She was stabbed with doubt. This was not what her father wanted for either of them. Damn it though, she thought. It's what I am. The room lapsed into a prolonged silence. Three pairs of anxious eyes gazed at Fred. The silence dragged on interminably. Alexis could feel her father's fury, sense his disappointment. She held her breath, waiting for the explosion. Fred just stared uncomprehendingly at his daughter, beads of sweat bursting across his brow, legs apart, clenching and unclenching his fists. His boy, the man who'd one day be a patriarch like himself, the son who would produce grandchildren for him and for Doris. Can he do this? How could his son betray him like this. Finally, Fred spoke in a voice sounding like barely disguised rage, while the others all held their breath. You're beautiful, Fred whispered. The women, Alexis, her mother and the doctor, all gazed at each other in perplexed silence. Mr. Bradshaw? The doctor looked mystified. Dad? Alexis felt her chest tighten. Dad? She said again. Is that right? Do I look okay then, Dad? I never realised, Fred muttered. I could never have guessed. More loudly now. You're absolutely beautiful. His breath seemed to catch and a tear coursed down his cheek. No, oh, Dad, Dad, Dad. Mum said you'd be okay. She said you'd be all right. Fred sat down in the chair opposite his wife on the other side of the bed and took his daughter's hand in his. I swear, I never thought I'd say this, but you were right. You were right. Alexis, my daughter. God in heaven. Fred closed his eyes when I thought we might lose you. Thanks, Dad. Alexis whispered. I will never be a grandfather, though. Sorry about that, Dad. I wish. I just wish. Don't be sorry. Just go and be 
mean you. I don't care what you are. You're ours, you hear? You're ours. He held his daughter's hand tightly in his too. Lexi, he breathed. Lexi. Alexis smiled but said nothing. Tell you one thing though, darling. What's that, Dad? Alexis felt a fresh moment of misgiving. No bugger's ever going to take advantage of you. Not with that left hook of yours. That was Crossfire by Andrew Siegel.